Hi, and welcome to Be the Victor. I'm here today with another podcast, and today we're going to talk about how to strength train for ultra marathoning. Now, part of the big reason why I'm doing this today is because my son Daniel recently participated in the Ruth Anderson 50 mile race and completed it um, at the age of 17. He finished it in 11 hours and 30 minutes. That basically means he was running from 6.30 in the morning till about 6 o'clock at night without stopping. He had little intermittent breaks to refuel, but otherwise, you woke when you woke up yesterday morning, or about when you woke up yesterday morning, till about the time you were having dinner, my son was running. Um, and he did that, and he's an accomplishment. He's a very accomplished runner, and he's very dedicated to what he loves, um, and running is one of those things along with riding um, as well. And today we're going to talk about not the program design, which he used to build his mileage, but a lot of the individuals I saw at the race, they were surprised to know that how much strength and conditioning work he does. Now I've had the opportunity, being a strength and conditioning coach, I started Daniel on a strength and conditioning program when he was about in sixth grade. At that point, I did it in a small group to make it less intimidating for him and build some friends um, and strength training together strength trained together. And since then, um, he's taken it on his own and has developed some uh, strength and conditioning habits that will last him a lifetime and allow him to do whichever sports he decides to do. Today, we're going to talk about some of the things that he does uh, that uh, we've come up with to help him be successful at his running. Now, it can sound a little bit like an oxymoron to think about strength and conditioning and extreme ultra running. But the reality is it's very necessary for a wider, for a lot of different reasons, and we'll talk about that today. Uh, I'm going to give you a few stats first. Daniel is, about, is 17 years old, like I mentioned before. He's five foot seven, about 125 pounds. Now, to give you an idea of his strength, which I obviously, as a strength and conditioning specialist, I measure intermittently, he currently can bench press about 155 to 160 pounds for one RM, one repetition max. His deadlift is floating at about 185 pounds. Um, he can dead hang pull up about 17 times. That means he goes all the way up, chin over the bar, all the way down to a dead stop, uh, no kipping involved, 17 times. His sit-up test is 60 in a minute, and his push-up test is 40. So uh, the first thing that should stand out to you with some of those numbers is that he's still he's actually kind of an accomplished uh, strength athlete as well for his age. At 17, uh, even though he runs extreme distance, um, his strength to weight ratio is still very high and his muscular endurance is still very high. And that should transfer to you and your brain thinking, wow, even this extreme aerobic athlete has a firm base of strength. And that's one of the big reasons I always tell my clients it takes strength because you have a strong base of strength you can use your body for whatever you want it to do, whatever you're passionate about. Back when I was at San Diego State, I had a lot of professors that were trying to teach us to be involved in lots of different sports and coaching. And this is an example of that. Not ever having been an ultra-distance runner, I consider myself um, – I do enjoy running, but I enjoy running as a vehicle for improved performance for my jiu-jitsu. So I usually run in the duration of rounds that I will be competing at. So I like to accelerate nice and hard between five to seven minutes um, and then take a minute recovery and then repeat. Uh, I don't run any more than four to six miles, two to three times a week. But uh, because of that, a lot of people would think, well, you have no business coaching it. But the reality is when I was at San Diego State, Coaches and professors would 
encourage us to participate in all different types of sports. And this is what we did. You have to analyze the muscles you're used, the energy systems that you use for the sport, and the injuries. So all of you future trainers that are out there, you can be involved in any sport. I actually found myself very successfully coaching water polo players, never having been a swimmer, or never actually played water polo. But with some analysis, watching the game, um, watching the injuries these guys had, as well as the energy systems, the amount of time that they were in the water, what kind of energy systems they were using in the water, I was able to successfully design programs for a lot of successful athletes in lots of in lots of different sports. So today, like I said, we're going to highlight the elements that I use for for my distance runners, and particularly in this case, uh, Daniel is an ultra marathoner. So. Daniel usually lifts between three and four times a week. Now, this varies as he gets to race day. We're talking about the meat and potatoes of his training. Usually about three months out, you start to make slight adjustments as your mileage goes out. So keep that in mind. Most ultramarathoning progression or most marathoning progressions are going to build up in mileage as you get closer. As you obviously build up in mileage, your energy level and the need for traditional uh, large strength training, you're not going to have the energy for that. But um, as you can imagine, it's uh, if you've heard of my heard my podcasts before, Daniel obviously squats, deadlifts, and bench presses. That's why I'm able to give you some numbers on some of his limit on some of his uh, upper end limits. On but it took us a while to get there, and the idea is those are very measurable and it gives me a gauge as to what's happening in his body. But most people can't jump into that. And also, I know if you're listening and you're an ultra marathoner, that's not quite as sexy. You don't want to listen. Oh, I don't want to squat bench and deadlift. You do need to get to the point that you can do these. But there's some other things that you can focus on highlighting and then build up your intensity and test every once in a while so that you know where your strength is at. So the first key is developing pulling power mid-trap and rhomboid strength. Those are the muscles that lie between the shoulder blades and obviously your lats as well. Daniel does usually three times the amount of pulling exercises as he does pushing exercises so that we work on posture. Posture is a big deal in a lot of sports and for my endurance athletes that might think this is this, this might not be important to them, try to think of it this way. You are leaving energy and speed on the table if you are rounded through your upper back because your diaphragm is going to be limited as to the amount of air that you're naturally taking in. You're also going to create some impingement in your shoulders and neck. And if you're carrying any of those tensions while you run, as anyone knows who runs great distances, they can wreak havoc on your mechanics. So focus on developing tr strength between your mid-upper back and uh, your lats. Now, if you can't do pull-ups, Use a pull down. If you can't, um, if you can't do a traditional pull up, you can also use chin ups or any variation of pulling exercise. But focus on developing good pulling capacity, uh, as well as mid trap and rhomboid strength. And those are the muscles between the shoulder blades. And my favorite for that is just doing a basic rear delt pull, where you use a band and hold it out at arm's length in front of the chest, and pull with fairly straight arms till the band touches your chest pinching the shoulder blades, keeping the shoulders, uh, the, I'm sorry, the neck relaxed and working on your breathing as you do so. And that's a great way to develop and start opening up uh, the chest and the chest so that you can breathe better while you're participating in sports. The second area we're going to talk about today is the obliques. 
And I'm a huge fan of oblique training because of the way the obliques tie in the force you're producing with your legs into your upper body. So you're tying in in a sling-like motion. Um, oftentimes referred to as a posterior, posterior sling. These posterior sling, the ability to lock in all these muscles in harmony is what's going to allow you to move efficiently. So obliques um, are a big part of that. And if you have weak obliques or they're not working correctly, you're going to leave a lot of strength and on the table. So crunches are okay, guys. It's okay. They're no-brainers. A lot of people can lay down and do crunches. But you're going to be better off doing significant amount of side planks and pal-off press. Now, to highlight side planks, most of you, if you participated in any sports for any significant of time, know what a plank position is. That's the high position of a push-up, the, the extended arm position of a pull-up. A side plank would be the exact same thing, but rotated to one side and holding yourself on either an extended arm, which is often done in yoga, or an elbow. Now, if you're having any trouble with shoulder impingement or any shoulder discomfort, you can rest on the elbow as well. And you can add some outside resistance. I like to use a dumbbell on that high hip to give us a little bit more resistance. But as a go-to, my favorite is the pal-off press because you're standing and that's how you're participating in sports. Most of my athletes, runners, will walk in day one and they're working on practicing stabilizing through their obliques through the use of the pal-off press. Now you can use band resistance, uh, particularly when you're starting off. I like to use, I like to be the resistance for my athletes because I can feel where they're pulling or if they're tightening up against resistance. For this movement, chest out, shoulders out, extend the arms in front of you and your partner is going to try to push on the sides of your hands and you're going to tighten up resisting that rotation. Now, it's important when you're doing these movements that you're not clenching your jaw or holding your breath because then you're just locking down through other muscle groups. Basically, you're cheating. So make sure you can do these movements for uh, do them correctly without holding your breath or cheating. Um, the other thing is you can do them for time, extended periods of time and varying, varying intensity, particularly if you're doing it with a partner. See if you can do 15 to 20 seconds before rotating to the other side. So that's a great way to train um, your obliques. And again, worry on, make sure you're not cheating while you're doing the movement. The third and final section I'm going to be covering today is glute activation. And I say glute activation because this is kind of twofold. It requires doing proper strength and conditioning as well as, well as mobility work. What I tend to see in not only Daniel, but a lot of my distance runners um, is issues with glute activation or the use of the, the glutes, which are the primary hip extensor that drives your hip back. And as, particularly as you're running, it's kind of an important thing here. Um, what tends to happen is those either go dormant or shut off because of some either injuries or natural tightness. So when you're when you're running, I think it's a valuable thing to make sure you understand that I'm not looking to develop glutes of a top you know, fitness model, uh, when, but we do need to make sure they're working here. So one of the first clues as to this, if you're lacking in muscle, muscle tone, um, in your backside, um, that's a clue. And particularly if you have any low back pain uh, along with that, um, start to take the clues from the body and start to give your body some respect. Um, one of the easiest ways that I like to 
to test people or when I inquire about glute activation, uh, particularly because a lot of my runners do do some form of strength training when they come see me, and then I'm just evolving their program and, and acting as a detective as to why they're having some aches or pains, is I say, hey, when you do your lunges, yes, I, you do lunges, do you do lunges? Yes, great. Um, where do you feel that and are you sore the next day from them? Um, a lot of times I'll get, well, I feel it primarily in my quads um, and that's where I'm sore. Um, that some people will tell me they're also sore in their low back. And so if you're primarily getting thigh and low back fatigue from your lunges, there's a good chance you're not using your glutes. Now, your thighs are definitely involved in your lunges, but they should be in symphony with proper functioning hip extensors or proper functioning glutes. So if you're doing lunges, your glutes and your thighs should be taking a lot of the work. Definitely not your low back. So keep that in mind. So some of my favorite things to do for proper glute activation is to first focus on loosening the hamstrings and low back, which most of my runners know how to do with a basic hamstring stretch or a forward fold. Focusing on the psoas, which is a major hip flexor that can really impede glute activation. So that's usually a lunge stretch where you're lunging forward, um, keeping the torso up tall and opening up uh, the hip. Um, as well. And then start to get on the ground for your, before you start thinking about doing your standing movements, uh, like squats and deadlifts and lunges, start to get on the ground first and work with a basic hip bridge. If you are doing a basic hip bridge and you're not finding that you're getting glute activation or you're not getting some activity in those muscles, yeah, it's a it's just a partial body weight, but you should feel those muscles working as you lift your hips up and down. If you predominantly feel that in your hamstrings and low back, um, that's an indication that you're still a little too tight to work into some of these other traditional movements. So stay on the ground, continue to work on your stretching, work your hip bridging. You can work actually with progressive resistance. Um, you don't have to go through uh, what you see on Instagram feeds or Facebook feeds with working abnormal amounts on a barbell. You just could work on putting a 10-pound plate on your abdomen or a 25 and work on bridging up and down, and that should do enough to activate the glutes. Um, but if once you get that, then my favorite movement, and this is the big one, is what I call a single leg squat slash deadlift. Now, I still have to this day, actually, Danny was probably the only one um, on race day doing his exercises before he ran, at, which is uh, quite comical considering everyone's about to uh, take off for 50K plus mileage and Daniel's out there doing his exercises because know, he knows it helps his knee alignment and, and make sure that his glutes are firing appropriately b before he starts running. And this movement is very simple. You're standing on one leg and then taking the same side hand as foot is on the floor. You're going to bend the knee slightly, lean forward with a flat back and touch the pinky edge side of the ground next to the foot. Now what this is going to do is get us a little bit of a squat, and I call it squat deadlift because you are going into a little bend in your knee as you descend down, but then you're doing a forward hinge. As you hinge forward, you're forcing the glutes to lift you up and extend the body, especially as you come up. Um, this is a beautiful movement, not only because it allows you to work on your thighs and glutes, but also starts to work on controlling because you are single leg standing, you have to control the position of your knee. So you can really easily see if an athlete has a tendency or if you have a tendency to roll in. 
if you're rolling in a lot, it's going to wreak havoc on your mechanics as well. So those those are my three points, guys. We talked um, about uh, posture, mid-upper back, strengthen your mid-upper back, do a lot of pulling exercises, uh, focus on your oblique training, and get good glute activation. I gave you a, one exercise, some a couple stretches. Obviously, you have to do the big lifts, but you got to get to that point and start off with what we just talked about today and see if you can start seeing a difference in your running. You should start to see a difference in your running within the first few weeks of doing these movements multiple times a week. So that's it for today, guys. If you need any information, come to our nomadswithapurpose.com website. We have tons of free info as well as online training. My coaching series can go into detail on lots of the movements which we talked about today, and it can get you results. Thanks a lot.